Hey, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism with Matt Kennedy, and I love buying my comics at Meltdown Comics, and I know you do too, so I'm going to give you a little gift, and that gift is a discount. So if you use my password, which is going to be Pod Sequentialism Rocks, to any of the employees that work here at checkout, they will give you a discount on your comics. How much is that discount? 11%. Can't beat that with a bag of hammers. Hi, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism with Matt Kennedy. And uh, before we start the show today, I wanted to give a big shout out to the folks over at Loot Crate, who are a great service. You can get uh, monthly subscription service to cool geek and nerd stuff and just the sci-fi and fantasy genre things. And a lot of them are very collectible. And because they like us and we love them, we get to give you a discount. So if you go to Loot Crate and you type in the, um, I guess the, the, par- the password PODSEC3, which is P-O-D-S-E-Q and the number three, you will get a discount. Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy. And this week on the podcast, we're going to be talking to um, someone who's got his fingers in a couple of pies and that um, I'm actually going to be familiar with several things that he's done. And it's going to be pretty interesting as we go from one thing to another. But uh, Jared is a voiceover actor who is also one of the principals behind Wasteland Weekend. And so I'll ask you to introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Jared Butler. Uh, I do voiceover. I also am the event director and co-owner of Wasteland Weekend. Now, a lot of people that listen to the show are probably tangentially familiar with like Burning Man. Mm-hmm. And um, Wasteland Weekend is an event not unlike Burning Man in that it's a desert festival and that uh, a lot of the people who are going, I think a lot of the people who were probably at the first couple of Wastelands were people who had been going to Burning Man. Yeah, I mean, we've we've always had uh, a good cross-section of burners who come out. Uh, the, the shorthand for Wasteland to describe it as uh, similar to Burning Man uh, th- that's fine with us. There, there are key differences, but uh, yeah, we, we party out in the desert, mm-hmm. so there is a similarity there, and there aren't a lot of... There's really nobody who does anything quite like what we do, right? So people tend to look for what's what's the, you know, the closest analog that I can kind of start the conversation with. The metric of comparison, mm-hmm. right? Right. Now, it's always struck me as being sort of a bit more like what Burning Man was in the earlier years, mixed with a little bit of Mad Max. Yeah, I, I would say mixed with a lot of Mad Max. Yeah. Um, the the biggest thing for us, and and what we tell people is what kind of separates what we do. Uh, we are a we attempt to be a full immersion festival. Yes, and what that means is when you come out to Wasteland, you have to wear some kind of post apocalyptic costume. Yes, uh, it's not a Ren Fair where the public can come in and watch. It's not Burning Man where there's really no theme. It's just you know free expression. What we do is we have one post apocalyptic theme, mostly inspired by the Mad Max. Max movies. We want everyone to follow it. And the goal is that for four days, you feel like you're living inside a movie set. So that comes down not to just the costumes, but that, that come down to the vehicles as well. Could someone show up in a, um, in a 82 uh, citation? Or sure. Is it- well, what, that's one of the common misconceptions is while costumes are required, themed campsites and vehicles are not required. Okay. So uh, we have, uh, in, in broad terms, we have kind of a theme required section of the event and a theme encouraged section of the event. Uh, 
If you are within the walls of what we call Wasteland City, mm-hmm. yes, everything you have has to be fully themed out. Because once you walk into Wasteland City, we want it to be a 360-degree post-apocalyptic environment. Mm-hmm. But we don't want the bar of entry to be that high. So um, as long as you're wearing something correct, um, you can park your Prius, you can have your your shiny blue tent, you can have all that out in the kind of more general camping tent city area, and that's Mm -hmm. fine. That way we get the best of both. Right, right. Now, how does one go from voiceover to Wasteland Weekend? Um, I mean, it's... Actually, my voiceover career started late. Uh, I started off in Hollywood. I I worked in development. I I became a screenwriter. Uh, I worked as a screenwriter for a number of years. I still do a little bit of that. Uh, And then the voiceover thing happened uh, a few years ago, around the same time as as Wasteland. So both of them kind of, you know, it's like most of the stories you hear in Hollywood, both of them kind of came out in roundabout ways. Right. Um, There really wasn't a straight path to it. Um, We started Wasteland Weekend in 2010. Mm -hmm. It was a... a few hundred people um, trying to do a Mad Max festival in the desert. We we thought the idea would catch on, and it did, and we just kind of grow in size every year. We're going into our seventh year now. Uh, we're going to have somewhere around maybe 2,500, 3,000 people out there this year. Um, we could have more. We're going to sell out. Uh, we were, and, and by the way, buy your ticket. I don't, I don't know uh, when this podcast will come out. Uh, uh, but When's the event? Uh, September 22nd. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can hold so, it back, too. No, don't hold don't? it back okay. because the thing is they're going to miss out on getting tickets. That's because right. Because we are at the point of recording this podcast, we're already a little over 75% sold out. Okay. So by the time this airs, you may be out of luck or you can scramble right now to www.wastelandweekend.com and look for your tickets. Um, and we do have a lot of volunteers who come out, which is great. We have um, an army, I mean, hundreds of volunteers who really make the event happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a true group effort. And the great thing is if you can't get a ticket, you can. You may be able to volunteer or be a performer and get in that way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we... Um, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, like I said, we could we could hold it back, but no, the, um, that's perfect. And and the um, never hold back. That's my motto. Right, right. Well, yeah, <laughs> with, with full immersion, I guess you can't. So the um, I know that you're you you cap like you definitely cap. Yeah, the okay. Of people. That that that's actually where I was going. Yeah, we control our growth every year, mm-hmm. um, and there's a couple of reasons we do that. Uh, the main one is we are an all volunteer workforce. And a lot of the people who volunteer at Wasteland are learning kind of the event and learning skills as years go by. I certainly am. Mm-hmm. You know, I came in. Um, I came in as the the event director. Uh, sorry, the entertainment director originally, mm-hmm. and I had some experience with you know movie production and live theater and things like that. But I still wasn't you know skill wise where I wanted to be to be able to run you know bands and DJs and a fire spewing music stage like we have now and, it's and a making, different discipline making the whole show happen out in the desert and I still don't think I'm where I'd like to be but you know I learned on the job in some ways mm-hmm. and even if you bring some skills putting out a, a major event in the middle of nowhere we build this whole city from scratch it's open desert and it returns to open desert when we leave mm-hmm. and 
everybody who comes out kind of has to learn how to make things happen at Wasteland. So we, we train up our force as we go. Uh, we learn which of our volunteers are real stars, and then we try to promote them into more responsibility. So we don't want to bring in too many people that we can't handle. Right. Uh, you know, we don't want to have kind of a Woodstock out there. If we were just doing this for one year and wanted to grab all the money we could and run off to Mexico, we would just say, hey, let's sell 10,000 tickets. We could, you know, maybe we can right. sell that many. But we know it would be just a hot disaster out yeah. there if we did that. So we try to grow at a reasonable pace. The other reason is it's very important for our attendees that this thing keep its kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, underground street cred kind of uh, genuine feel to it where you feel like you're part of the Wasteland family when you're out there. Mm-hmm. And with our growth being slow, most of the people who come out um, have friends that have already been there that can kind of show them the ropes. And that's the way we've really been able to keep the character of the event feeling real legit mm-hmm. every year. It's um, funny. We just talked about the um, the the danger of social media and that what started out as being a way to keep in contact with people that you didn't see every day and then the idea that, hey – I have cool friends, and those friends have cool friends. There's a really good chance that I will get along with the friends of my friends Mm -hmm. to what it is now, which is it can get so wide and so big, and people take on followers and and start liking stuff in order to build up their own own likes that you now have a lot of people. A lot of people in Facebook have a lot of people that are also on their Facebook that they don't even know, have no contact with, and that it is important to really focus on that first and second degree of contact, that if you do things that follow that model, then they can stay manageable and they can stay cool because I mean there are I do have friends that don't get along with each other and right. that's just one degree that's just yeah. me in the middle and so the um, what I thought is cool is that when when I first heard about Wasteland it was through a lot of friends of mine from the goth industrial scene who had been regulars at Burning Man and that um, it was just sort of seen as people were getting disenfranchised a bit with with Burning Man and that the the ticket prices are going up and that there was seemingly this they would sell as many as they thought that they could sell for a very long time. And then I think they started to tighten the reins in a couple of years when there was a lot of the wrong type of people there. And, and in that being that the, there were people that were, there was a lot of theft going on out there and that there was um, a lot of um, near fatality kind of drug overdoses and stuff that were happening at Burning Man. And this is going back to like maybe 2001, 2002. And they started to get a little bit more of a, a handle on that. And then it became the millionaire dot commers thought that it was going to be, you know, their eyes wide shut vacation, <laughs> but um, that everybody still speaks in very high regard for Wasteland. People look forward to it. I mean, across the board, people I know that go to both are much more excited about Wasteland, which they feel more invested in, yeah. that because it's a experiential festival that they really put thought into what they're going to bring out there so they have to start thinking about it in advance because whether you're a steampunk guy or a goth industrial person um that kind of post-apocalyptic thing takes some planning yeah uh i mean what we tell people like for first timers uh we love the enthusiasm first Mm -hmm. of all and we do get people who go to a lot of whether it be conventions or events, and, and say that Wasteland is the highlight of the year, and we're, we're really proud of that. Um, we do tell people when they come out for their first year, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew. Yeah. Um, don't get yourself so psyched up. We've had people who don't come mm-hmm. because they're like, yeah, I really feel like I got to go big or go home. I got to make a splash, and and my car's not ready, and my costume's not ready. I think I'm just going to wait till next year. And I'm like, you're just missing out. And yeah. we tell people, you you can go Wasteland Basic your first year. You don't 
have to win the costume contest. You just need to blend in. You can in. still trick or treat. You can yeah, just yeah. you can just put on you know some some drab you know torn up earth tones and be dirt you know cover yourself with a little bit of dirt and you'll be gu- you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, just don't be that person who ruins the vibe by standing out in something so obviously wrong. Yeah. And then you can come out your first year. And what I love is when I walk around and just kind of eavesdrop on conversations. I can always hear the the first timers because they're all talking about here's what we're gonna do for next year. Yeah. Within ten minutes of getting there. They get all their ideas. So it's so much yeah. of it is you have to go there and experience it and see what people are doing. And then you get really excited yeah. for what you're going to do for the next year and you have time to plan. Well, it's like explaining baseball. Right. You know, it's like, oh, he goes to second because he has to. Right. I, I get it. I see it. I see yeah. it working. So we get uh, we get a lot of that. We get a lot of that enthusiasm. The only unfortunate thing about us in Burning Man in terms of timing is we're only about three weeks after Burning yeah. Man. And people have complained about that. And we get it. We know that it's hard for people to get time off of work and all that sort of thing. The problem is uh, when you're doing an event in the desert, um, there are only a couple times a year you can do it. Yeah. Because you're talking about sometimes a 40 degree temperature swing between day and night. So and it precipitation. could be. Yeah. Uh, we don't. Well, yeah, we, exactly. We got to avoid the times of year when it rains, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and we can't do it in the summer. It's too hot. We can't do it in the winter. It's too cold. The first time we did the event, we did it in um, late October. Mm-hmm. People were freezing at night. Yeah. And not only was it, you know, too cold, it just killed the party vibe. Everybody yeah. was huddling around campfires or in their camps and nobody wanted to come out and no play. No one socializing. And then, you know, of course, in the middle of summer, though, it's going to be way too hot during the day. So we really have to pick either early fall or sometime in the spring. Mm-hmm. And for various reasons, we, we've kind of narrowed it down to there's almost, in, in terms of ideal temperatures, there's only, only like a couple of weeks we can grab out there that are perfect. And that's kind of in this September time that we do it. And um, even then, we you know, we had it really hot out there last year because yeah. you don't know what you're going to get. And the temperatures are changing. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're a little concerned about that. And may, if that happens, maybe we push it back a week or so. But, you know, late September uh, is, is really a good time for us. It's a great time to be out there. Um, we understand that it makes it hard for some people to go to Burning Man and all that, but Burning Man is like seventy thousand people. Yeah. So we're if we just get a few, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, um, some and people like the big festival show, and some people like the club. Yeah. and you you can do both. You can yeah. you can enjoy I mean, both. We wanna we wanna kind of be in that sweet spot where mm-hmm. you still can feel like you've walked around the whole place and kind of know people and all that, uh, but it's big enough to feel like wow, this was worth me you know, taking time off work for. This is worth me flying in from Australia for yeah. or from the UK. Like we get people from different parts of the world to come South over. Africa. And we want to, you know, we want to make it worth their while. We want to yeah. give them something they don't get anywhere else. Well, now I'm going to ask you for the kind of what uh, I've done Kevin Smith show a couple of times and he mm-hmm. refers to them as, as the the geek bona fides. And it's, you mentioned um, some screenwriting and stuff. And I, I figured that there has to be some kind of connection, that there has to be some stuff that you worked on that um, um, that brought you into this kind of post-apocalyptic realm. Well, uh, in terms of geek bona fides, the, I could give you some that would uh, embarrass me and my family. They're so <laughs> geeky. Now I have to have them. Yeah, you, well, you can't I mean, preach that. I, I mean, I someone someone was surprised to hear that I was like into like old school you know console gaming or something. Mm-hmm. I was like, dude. 
You have no idea. Everybody's like, in the 2600 days. Look, I'm just going to put it out there. Pioneer Laser Active. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you guys can look that up. I owned one of those. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, I just really, I, I go really deep into that stuff. I was always a comic fan growing up. Um, but in terms of my professional career, um, as a writer, uh, I didn't, I, I was actually, I was, for a little while, I, I'd sold this military movie that didn't get made. And so, you know, Hollywood likes to pigeonhole you. So for a little while, I was that guy they would bring in to like, well, we need, we want to make, we want to revive the Under Siege series. So mm-hmm. I worked on Under Siege 3, which didn't get made. And then uh, they brought me in as one of the early people they were talking to on, you know, the A-Team reboot. And it was, it was just mm-hmm. over and over. It was anything with, anything with tactical in it was mm-hmm. like sort of my thing. But growing up, um, the Road Warrior, one I saw it uh, as a kid was a huge influence, yeah. um, just kind of blew my mind. And so ever since then, I was a big Mad Max fan and anything post-apocalyptic related. And um, uh, gaming also, I think, was influential because when we um, create the Wasteland City we kind of think about it in terms of video game mapping a little bit. Like, you know, where are these places where you interact? You know, it's funny, uh, speaking of gaming, I was just talking to one of the vendors who's probably going to come out this year uh, and going to sell a bunch of airsoft guns. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I really want you to have a booth. Excuse me. I really want you to have a booth with that three walls of guns like the Punisher would stand in front of. Or I said, or better yet, I want you to um, have uh, like a long trench coat and kind of a weird like hat shading your face, all these guns behind you. And I want you to say... Welcome, stranger. I want to. I want you to be the power-up guy that I can walk in. So, yeah. so the video gaming stuff does come into it for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we get a great cross section out there of people from the geek world. We have people who work in movie special effects and movie makeup who come out. Um, we have people who work in video games. People who work in film production. We get goth industrial club people who come out. Uh, a lot of military, former and, and active duty military, come out. The the kind of post-apocalyptic Mad Max world draws a great cross-section of, of mm-hmm. fandom, I think. Yeah. We've had um, Christopher Sapp on the show, and we spent a lot of time on the impact of specifically the road warrior I remember seeing mad max before seeing the road warrior um and wait so you are you one of those people who saw actually it's, it's rare for someone to have seen the 1979 mad max before right. the road warrior yeah wow and it's because um when a lot of local tv stations would get their option of buying you know like your uhf <laughs> we're going back a ways here. Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, there, there were dials, kids. <laughs> yes, there were dials. So, like, um, Channel 56, Channel 38 in Boston um, would map out their purchasing for the quarterly of, of films that they were going to show for, like, their 8 o'clock, you know, Saturday night movie or something. Yeah, yeah. Or, or Tuesday night movies is probably was the case a lot of the time. And um, Road Warrior was getting such great attention before it opened mm. in trailering. Right. And that it was a sequel to this this Mel Gibson movie. Right. Who's who the hell was Mel Gibson? Um, and they bought it. So we actually and it, and Road Warrior was rated R. So in 1981, 82, 82, I think is when Road Warrior comes out in the United That's States. Right. I was 11 years old, so I couldn't get into an R-rated movie. But um, we'd heard about Road Warrior, and we would try and sneak in when we were seeing other stuff. But I got to see start to finish Mad Max on a local. 
UHF channel. Right. And Toe Cutter was kind of like, <laughs> you know, like the greatest thing I'd ever seen. This like really, you know, grimy, terrible, you know, po- you know and it wasn't even post-apocalyptic yet. Yeah, not quite. It, but know. Australia kind of. Yeah. And um, so when we when Road Warrior came out, as much as we had loved Mad Max, Road Warrior was a quantum leap forward in just every aspect of what could make a movie cooler. That by this time... Mel Gibson was an accomplished performer, um, that George Miller had really gotten a rap on his on his filmmaking and, and the editing. The Brian May score was just this incredibly well-produced piece of classical music that worked in every aspect of it, that you had a lead character that didn't talk much. I mean, he spoke less than the man with no name in the Clint Eastwood movies. Right. I remember reading a fanzine back in 83 I think it was and um, of course there was no internet so you'd come across the zines at the local comic book shop or the or the record store that you came across right. and one of them had on one page and it was double spaced every line of dialogue <laughs> Mel Gibson had in Road Warrior which means That's and great. it wasn't on videotape yet yeah, yeah. so they were so like in the theater writing it down yeah. you know time day after day um, screening yeah. after screening That's hilarious. and it, it had such a huge impact now I'll, I'll be I'll be 45 this year um, what year were you born? Oh, I'm not going to tell you that. I work in Hollywood. Are you kidding me? I'm a little. I'm a little younger. I was going to say. All right. Okay. But the, um. So in in that kind of and and Chris is a few years younger than me too. And so I think that for a lot of us, when when Road Warrior hit cable television, mm. and um and then hit videotape, which I think was a thorny in my videotape, as I recall, it was a clamshell. It's well a white done. clamshell. Well done. And the um and that that graphic of the two. Kind of the yeah, painting of the, the arms, yeah, that on the American side. poster. Are they might. I don't know if they use that in the in the Australian poster. The too, Australian yeah. International is a photograph of Mel Gibson with the gun and the dog, and the um the international style is the painting that has the road. Right, and then I've got the Australian day bill, the day bill yep. which is is just sort of photos from the movie. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, t- I know what you're talking about the two the two guys kind of side by side, yeah. the beefed up Max and yeah. the, the Wes. I and think. I still have my Mad Max original poster, which is, mm-hmm. and that's of course not Mad Max, that's Goose. Right. Well, it's sort of a hybrid of Goose and some sort of RoboCop. Yeah, yeah. Still a great poster. Someone just did a cosplay of the Mad Max poster outfit <sighs> with that sort of futuristic police helmet and yeah. everything. It was a great idea. I've been wanting someone to do that. Now, that costume on a girl would be the greatest thing that ever happened, but maybe a little too close to strip nude for your killer, which is an Italian giallo. <laughs> now, in, in talking about the, the apocalypse, and, and yeah. of course, Mad Max is like the greatest film, and then the recent Mad Max is maybe even better. Yeah, I love I love Fury, Fury Road. Are, amazing. You know, it's funny that the the division among fans uh, on who likes Fury Road and who doesn't. I've no, I and I'm, anybody and doesn't I'm gonna, like Fury oh, Road. I'll tell you where they're where they're hanging out. Okay, they're hanging out on some of the Mad Max Facebook groups, oh, but the bigger ones, like yeah. the more specialized ones, like I'm involved with. Whether it's like, I, I mean, there's so many, but all the all the wasteland people generally love it. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who don't like it tend to be older. Um, you know, they tend to be over 40, no offense. Uh, they tend to be... Um, I can actually say none take. <laughs> they, uh, they tend to be, like, um, just angry that it wasn't the Road Warrior again, angry that Mel Gibson wasn't in it. Like, and it just... It's, it's a small group of sort of louder uh, folks, but it's weird because everybody I know... And I, I went and saw it with, like, some hardcore old-school Mad Max fans. Yeah. In fact, we had seen it several times before it came out because we would go to all the... We would find out where the audience test screenings yeah. were. And we would go to all those. And everybody I know loved it. Yeah. Everybody, you know, loved the fact that it was something new. I mean, the smartest thing that George did was to say, look... Uh, I don't know. If he, he he's not arrogant enough to say this, but 
it, the Road Warrior is almost the perfect action movie. Yeah. It's 90 minutes. It's so tight. Y- you can't improve it. So why try? Mm. And so what he did instead was I'm going to make something different. Well, I'm not going to I'm going to not going to remake my own old movie. I'm going to make something completely different. And it's even going to be in a different world and, and a different Mad Max universe. And mm-hmm. that was the smartest thing he did. And, and most of the people I know just absolutely love it. The first guest we had on the show. So this is 34 episodes ago. Was um, was Brendan McCarthy? Oh, that's funny. And so I've I'd known Brendan through friends for for several years, and um, my good friend Howard Hallis worked on him with a Doctor Strange comic, and we showed some of his work at the Luz de Jesus Gallery, and the, um, and so when he was working on the film, we tried to set up a show at the Peterson Automotive Museum hmm. of the cars from Mad Max Fury Road, right? And they just did not know how to handle it. The, the Peterson you Yeah. Mean. Right. I mean, this would have seemed like a museum that museums all have a lot of problems raising money. And one of the best ways to raise money is to have a really good show that will get people in and tickets. Yeah, you want your King Touch show. That's what you want. But it's also more that people give money to the museums. Like most of the money is not through admissions. Right, right. Most of it is through uh, grants and gifts. And what gets grants and gifts are big shows. Yeah. So... They just really didn't even know what they were saying no to, mm. and it you know they're they're thinking of like well we have all these cars that are in our permanent collection, we have no place to put them, like it would cost us more to move the cars that we have and house them for the duration right. of this exhibition than it would cause to move these other cars in, which would have been sizable because most of the cars were in Rhodesia, right, and um in I think in some some cases in South Africa. And some of them were were in Australia, so yeah. getting them all together would have been a bit of a, um, a hassle. But and the studio would have would have jumped on board. I mean, the problem there too is you had Mad Max had been kind of out of the mainstream public consciousness for about thirty years. Yeah. So what that's one of the great things that Fury Road did for us is we were already. Um, filled up with you know some hardcore Mad Max fans but it gave everybody that adrenaline shot of now there's something new out there yeah. uh, so I think you'd probably probably would have had be- much better luck a few months ago trying it after yeah, it won yeah. a bunch of Oscars and yeah, all that yeah. uh, the problem is so many of the cars are gone yeah. they all got destroyed this was before that you know yeah. there was still a lot of stuff and um, and of course the, the, the even though it wasn't a huge financial success um, it was still a success yeah. enough so that they could greenlight a sequel, and the idea being that the sequel will do a lot better because of the word of mouth the film has. Mm-hmm. It has it had a ninety nine or something Rotten yeah. Tomatoes score forever. Yeah. It was amazing. It, it, that was what was amazing about it was not just that fans loved it, but how much critics really embraced yeah. it and really. Uh, I mean, you can't you can't. Um, downplay what George Miller did mm-hmm. at, at his age coming back hasn't made a ton of movies hasn't made a ton of live action movies since the the Mad Max movies you know we, people didn't even know what they were going to get mm-hmm. and what they got was so groundbreaking you know it's it's really incredible yeah and those ideas like I said you know Brendan was the writer and he we talked at length about some of the really big picture ideas that were going to be involved that everything is a resource mm-hmm. you know down to mother's milk and probably sperm and everything mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. and that's going to get us an, an adult um <laughs> An adult, uh, that gives you the E? That gives us the E right there. I don't there. know. Really? Yeah. Oh. But, um, we, could, we could bleep that. Yeah, I guess we could. Because <laughs> you were just speculating anyway. That yeah. wasn't in the movie. <laughs> it was in our well, podcast. Here's what's crazy, though. Um, I saw, um, uh, again, I'm going to just push my nerd 
glasses back here and tell everybody I saw Fury Road before they did. But uh, <laughs> a year before the movie came out, I went to the first audience test screening, and it was literally a year before the movie was out. And when I got one of the flyers, blue screen said, and no, that's the crazy thing is there were a few shots that were unfinished, but that movie was mostly done. And the cra- even crazier thing is I'm watching this movie with my jaw hanging open the whole yeah, time because yeah. I hadn't at that point I hadn't seen a trailer. Um, all I had seen is a few behind the scenes shots. That was it. That yeah. was all anybody had seen. So we didn't know what we were going to get. We didn't know if we were going to get something you know worse than Thunderdome. We didn't know where this was even going to fit in, mm-hmm. what it was going to be. And um, so it was amazing. And it, as soon as it was over, the, you know, they give you the comment cards. If you guys haven't been to an audience test screen before, they have you fill out these little cards, and then the studio looks through those and then tells the director, you know, you need to change things or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things uh, I wrote was, please don't, Please don't mess with this movie. This is amazing. And I just assumed that there's no way that what I saw was going to get released as it was. It was just too crazy. It was too out there. Um, you know, the the scene with the with all the um, with the milk maidens and all yeah. that stuff. Uh, that there's just there's no way this is going to stay in the final cut of the film. And and there's no way they'll release it rated R because they're going to want to do PG-13 because they'll make so much more money. Mm. Um the version that people saw in theaters was 99% the same version they had a year earlier. Yeah. It was, that's what was really amazing about it. Uh, and I assume that George Miller had Final Cut mm-hmm. and that these test screenings were the—, the I, This is all just me supposing, but having been on the studio side for a little while, I suspect that what they said was, okay, you've got Final Cut, but don't you want people to love your movie? We're going to keep showing you that this movie doesn't work with an audience. And then what happened was they kept screening it for audiences and audiences kept loving, loving it. it yeah. And there was no incentive for him to change, change anything. Yeah. The, um and there was such a, a really big gap uh, between the multiple versions of the movie that almost happened. One that was reported that we found out was completely false is that uh, widely reported, I think, by um, uh, Entertainment um, Entertainment Weekly was that Russell Crowe was at some point going to be involved, and that never happened. Uh, Heath Ledger was supposed to be yes, involved. Yes, Heath at one Ledger point. was attached at one point. I, so I was at 20th Century Fox in the late 90s, early 2000s, back when they had. Uh, Fury Road. Yep. Um, and I got to tell you, when I worked at Fox, uh, I could get any script for any movie that was in development. It really. I mean, because it wasn't even stuff that was really locked down. Uh, I remember. So back in the old days when it was the photocopier days. Yeah. Um, if there was something, a really top secret project, they would actually print it on red paper. So if you ever find a red paper script, those are kind of rare. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be it was so that if you tried to photocopy it, it didn't copyright, it just it yeah. looked terrible and it wouldn't copyright. I worked so, at Hollywood Book and Poster for quite a while. Oh. We had a vault full of unproduced screenplays, but we wouldn't release anything until the movies came out. Yeah, that's great. But we had. Did you have any access? Did you have any red ones? Oh, uh, yeah, we had red, we had blue, we had everything. Oh, wow. Yellow, you know, yeah. with yellow with red ink and stuff, you know, oh, that's on some interesting. of like right, TV changes, right. like the, the individual fresh pages for yeah. season finale. I mean, now with PDFs, they can just, you know, put the watermarks on there. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. The point is, even with the access that I had, I could not get a copy of that Fury Road script. That was the one of the ones that was completely locked down. And I got the sense that the studio didn't even have much to do with it. Yeah. It was really just George, and they were just kind of waiting to see what he was going to do. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there were all the delays. But yeah, there were many different versions, and originally it was going to be Mel Gibson, and then it just felt like for the... Ver- it wasn't that Mel was too old to play Mad Max. He was too old to play the version of Max in the story that George wanted to tell this time. Yeah, and... So. He wasn't exactly bankable. Well, that that, that yeah. may have been the that's that that may have been the unsaid reason. The the go actually almost happened during right around Desert Storm. That's right, and so that delayed it. And then the second thing was that the economy 
that it became yeah. so expensive that the value of the dollar had gone down and it was no longer feasible because it pushed the budget up by 25 to 30% mm-hmm. and the price of oil and everything. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's like one of the reasons the Lord of the Rings trilogy was so big and amazing was because they were able to get get great value for money at that time with three the New once. Zealand dollar. Yeah and, yeah, and three at once. Right. So the... Um, before we get um, into some of the other stuff we're going to talk, we're going to take a quick break. But um, when we get back, we're going to talk about some more post-apocalyptic stuff, um, other things that feed into what Wasteland Weekend is all about, and um, a little bit more about uh, behind-the-scenes uh, projects. So uh, after a word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy. Uh, I have with me today Jared, uh, principal behind uh, Wasteland Weekend. And we're talking a bit about... Um, you know the Mad Maxness of of Wasteland, and, but um, and before we get back into, I think some of the, you can mention some really specific things over the years that have just kind of blown your mind, <laughs> and um, but I want to talk about something that after that first the success of the Road Warrior, there was an explosion of Italian post apocalypse. Yeah, films. not just Italian, but the Italian ones were the most fun. Yeah, uh, but yeah, a lot all the knockoffs, like the same thing that happened after Star Wars. It's when yep. someone comes and breaks the mold, um, or you know, you even saw a little bit of after Three Hundred. Like, yeah. let's how do we kind of before create, that Conan? Yeah, 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 let's let's do you know, let's just knock off this. And this is also, I think, there was more of a kind of schlock movie market back then yeah. because you had home video and drive-ins and, and drive-ins and then home video after that and then you know then you for a little while there was that sort of straight to video video on demand and we still have some of that you still have the asylums of the world making yep. you know quick knockoff movies but it's not what it used to be yeah canon international pictures <laughs> so so much of my my time there's a great documentary on canon too um i think it's called electric boogaloo <laughs> um, after their uh, sequel to Breaking, but right. the, um, still the greatest sequel title of all time. Still gets <laughs> still gets referenced, by the way, by people who have no idea what they're what, why they're saying yeah, what yeah. what it means. Um, it, they, people tried to bring in Tokyo Drift as the new version of Electric Boogaloo, saying, "Oh yeah, we're gonna make um, you know the sequel to this movie. You know, it would be the joke sequel name." That's kind of funny. You and, said that yesterday on, on on Facebook. I commented on something my cousin had put up, and it was like it was a car that was halfway between a wasteland weekend car. Mm-hmm. And halfway between um, a really silly, um, how do I say this? Um, almost like a homemade North of Boston 86 Dotson. You're getting real specific. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but you, you fully expect it to be having like some Nortenio music blasting out of the side of it. And it had like a lot of um, like magnets just like put on the side. I, and I thought it was kind of cool. And my comment was, you know, um, it was um, Hachiroku, which is 86, which is the, the, the Tokyo Drift Car. And I had to explain to my cousins in Massachusetts what Hachiroku was and, and gave a little, you know, paragraph on Tokyo Drift Driving. And um, and he's like, yeah, this this wasn't a Japanese guy. This wasn't. I was like, that's good. Uh, that's point. not really what I'm yeah, trying to say. That's not the point. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. But um, yeah, the 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 Tokyo Drift thing. So the um, what's what's your favorite Mad Max knockoff? Wow. Um, favorite good Mad Max knockoff? No, I think we're talking about favorite bad Max Mac, Mad Max knockoff. Could be either. Um, there was oh god, Metal Storm. Metal Storm's pretty great. That was three D. Uh, it was. I saw it in three D. Yeah, so did I. Yeah, wow, yeah. wow. We sh- that's not something we should be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> um, boy, there's there's so many. Um, there's uh, Warriors of the Wasteland. Yep. Uh, you know, you've got. Uh, 
Bronx Warriors. Bronx Warriors, Which is like yeah. a, a cross between Mad Max and Escape from New York. Yep. In a way, Escape from New York is part of that whole oh, for um, sure. thing, too. Absolutely. And um, shame that that sequel was kind of terrible. It had such a great yeah. trailer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any really thing no to smoking. say about <laughs> No smoking. No this, no that. It was like a 30 minutes, 30 seconds of that, and then Snake Plissken shows up and like sets the theater on fire. You know, I, I'm a big fan of not the, the ultimate, of course, is the, the specific, the, the purpose shot trailer or whatever the, the jargon is for it. You don't see those very often. Yeah. And then even what you don't even see anymore is the shot that's made for the trailer that never shows up in the movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the, the, the piece of uh, debris through the windshield from Twist shot or the the um, the long arrow splitting another arrow from Kevin Costner's Robin, Robin Hood, Hood shot yep. so uh, and there is actually trivia here's a shot that everybody remembers from the trailer of Fury Road that's not in the movie it's when the dag puts her fingers together and looks at the horizon right everybody thinks that shots in the movie it's not it was only in the trailer right um, but yeah, I, I love that stuff. I've I've always loved movie trailers and things like that. Yeah, uh, in an environment we have to get sometimes a year ahead of the film, and there's absolutely no map for how the stuff is oh, yeah. edited together. Yeah. That that that's a lot more frequent. The um, and there's been yeah, I mean, the, the, but the the specific trailers, the trailers that are shot with the intention of not having any material from the movie, they just did one with Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen just did a trailer specific trailer with no footage of his latest movie. Oh, great. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, so that, that's I remember the too. there was the Fight Club ones yep. where uh, those are great. Yeah, those are great. And those are on the DVD at least, so yeah. that's that's kind of fun. Uh, but I mean, we're getting off a track which I tend to do. Um, talking about uh, Wasteland Weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a misconception out there, I think, uh, a couple of well, a lot of misconceptions actually, which is weird. You're like, how do these like rumors start in an era where all you have to do is go to a website and find out all the information? That's what's strange to me. Is people print the legend, <laughs> print the legend. No need but, for facts. But the, the the internet has just proven that, right? Yeah, it's like the clearly. internet is full of that stuff. There would be no internet if it was all facts. So strange. There'd be newspapers. But uh, we get these people who think it's like um, just absolute mayhem out there, and part of that is our fault. In it, well, I don't know about fault is the word. Part of that is our intention. Yeah, is that we put out videos that you know. By the way, if you want to see what Wasteland Weekend is all about, just go to YouTube, type Wasteland Weekend Official 2015, mm-hmm. or any of the Wasteland Weekend official videos, and you can see some highlight reels. But Wasteland Weekend, Weekend Official 2015 will get you some very good highlight reels. And people will say, oh, it's just absolute mayhem, and they're crashing cars and firing guns. And we're like, no, we don't we do not do any of that. Um, which, it's cool if people think it's crazy out there. I just don't want someone coming planning to smash into a car it's and bring crazy alive. safe yeah it's crazy safe it's crazy safe. don't bring a live firearm that sort of yeah. thing we are a fully insured and permitted event and yeah. people also will be like well i don't get it it's supposed to be the apocalypse no it isn't no we want to do this next year too yeah. it is supposed to be a fun event and i always tell people we're also we're the hollywood version of the apocalypse yeah. party like it's 2099 yeah and and it's we, we call it the party at the end of the world that's one of our other things and yeah, there's going to be cars with big engines and people with mohawks and all of the things that you expect from a Hollywood. I had an old phrase, which was, it's the road warrior, it's not the road. Right. Because you don't want to spend four days in a Cormac McCarthy novel. Right. You know, we're out there. We Yeah, it would be more realistic if everybody was like a homeless looking prepper. Hey, friendo. That's not fun. <laughs> yeah, that, that would not be fun. Although that would be, um, what's the alone experience that they do every Halloween downtown? Oh, right. Which yeah. is a, a real a real horror movie and not really that much fun. Yeah, maybe we maybe out at Wasteland. I actually thought about it at Wasteland doing some sort of like um, escape room, like post-apocalyptic escape room out there. Uh, well, I love you got to eat doing... the dog 
dog food and you got it, you know. <laughs> That'd be great. But the um we actually the- we actually did have in the first couple of years, we had a dinky we had a dinky D um uh, dog food eating contest. Oh, hopefully, it wasn't Chinese dog food. Um, no, sorry, Dinky Die. Oh, I can't believe I pronounced it wrong. Um, no, it wasn't. It was we would take um, Dinky Die dog food cans, and we would. Um, it was like a mixture of uh, like chili and uh, refried beans oh. that we'd put in there, and it smelled and kind of looked like dog food and tasted mm-hmm. only slightly better. And the, we would have this. We just realized it was such a bad idea in the heat of the desert in the middle of the day after people have been drinking the night before to have an, oh. e- any kind of eating Although. contest. Much less. That's probably the best food for you in that in that example. But if you can hold it down, you could just take the Hormel hash mm-hmm. and just put a new label on it. Well, we did some of that too. Yeah. yeah, and there was actually a guy last year. If one of our food vendors um, had dinky dye cans with like kangaroo chili that he was serving, so that was that was kind of fun. Uh, it's funny how that became such a memorable thing. Was is Mad Max eating the dog food? Yeah, yeah. That's a great scene. That is a great scene. There's also the um, and you know we've we've. We sort of glossed over. We, we, you mentioned it for like a second, Thunderdome. Mm. And certainly there are people that absolutely hate Thunderdome. And yeah. when I was a kid, it, it was to me such a noticeable step down from what um, Road Warrior had been. But I'm actually quite fond of it now as I've gotten oh, yeah. older. Yeah. And that, I, don't, um, I don't hate it. I, and it's nowhere near as good as the Road Warrior. Right. It has its problems. But it has it's, bigger ideas. But, it, but it's great. Uh, it's great in its own way. And in, 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 you know, some parts of it are better than others. But what's interesting to me is it has much more cultural recognition in the, in the broad population than Road Warrior does. Two men enter, one men leave. I mean, it's yeah. a very quotable movie mm-hmm. because there's a lot more dialogue in it. That and I think by the time it came out, Mel was an even bigger star. Yeah. I think it did even. I I don't know the numbers, but I suspect it, it did even better in the success. box office in yeah. the U.S. Uh, it was Huge probably on cable album. more. Yeah. You know, you had Tina Turner in it, so yeah. it was. It became more iconic to a certain generation, mm-hmm. even though it's not considered as good. I knew Angry Anderson from the band Rose Tattoo when right. that movie came out and I had Nice Boys Don't Play Rock and Roll, you know, and, hmm. and um it was a Rock and Roll Outlaw, I think was their song, which Keel had yes. covered like right at the same time that that movie was coming oh, out. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. And um and so I've I appreciate it I think maybe a little bit more than I would have otherwise because mm-hmm. he was in it, but I also understood it was a golden example of a Mel Gibson movie after Lethal Weapon, that there was more slapstick in it. And the angry Anderson character was a comedic version of Wes. He's of a watered-down Wes. Wes. Yeah. Everything in that movie is kind of a watered-down version of what you got. It's in very Road much Warrior. a remake in in its own weird way. And uh, and it's also a prime example of PG thirteen versus R. Yes. You know, and it's why you know it's why PG thirteen can really kill a movie sometimes. And even that would have probably, I think, if it had been a different studio, they might have gotten a PG rating instead of a PG thirteen rating out of that because it's not it's nowhere near as violent as say Indiana Jones and the Temple right, of Doom. Right. Right. Yeah, it, it the, well, yeah. Then you get into that whole thing of how they do the ratings, which yeah. is just such a strange, arbitrary thing. <laughs> Absolutely, I remember yeah. um, uh, my my brother is a visual effects supervisor, and he's worked on some big movies, and I won't name which ones for this particular thing, but there were there have been big epic movies where they deliberately shot gore. To so have something, something to cut, in. yeah. To have something to cut because they know they're going to have to make cuts. They know that some, you know, that the that the um, the, the ratings board is going to put want to put their stamp on it, yeah. and you got to have something ready to. There's cut. There's a little old lady from Pasadena, the Catholic priest, and uh, the sensible next door neighbor. Right. But the um, 
we've I, I worked at um, Blue Underground for a long time. I ran mm. Panic Panic House Entertainment for years. Yeah. Um, we had done a lot of the Anchor Bay stuff. And when my friend David delivered the first couple of cuts of Charlie's Family, the Jim Van Bieber film, mm. to the NBA, we're expecting, you know, okay, did, did, I guess we got an R, right? You know, and it was like, we're not passing this for classification. You need to cut. And they're like, well, what do we cut? And of course, they can't say. In the UK, they'll be like, cut here to here, yeah, cut yeah. here to here, cut here to here. And then you go town by town and you get to find out if it will get passed. And so right. when those guys took the movie Last House on the Left, the original film across England, you had to go basically county by county and get approved. And then when you got a certain amount of counties, it was okay. It was no longer on the video nasties list. Wow. And in the US, the MPAA's uh, ratings board will not tell you. They'll give you really general suggestions mm-hmm. like, um, like it makes me feel icky. Well, here's what we got. There's too much. There's too much sex and there's too much violence. Oh, okay. <laughs> and we're like, well, that's what this movie is. Right. And he had to deliver a 79 minute version of the film to get an R rated. Wow. And which he had to produce at that point for a blockbuster. Yeah, that's um, yeah. If you wanted to be in blockbuster, you had to get a rating. Absolutely. And so the unrated cut is twenty nine to thirty five minutes longer. Yeah. And um, and it's a pretty tight running time. So I mean, the seventy nine minute version is over before you know it. But the um, those types of problems do happen all the time. I know that um, there was a certain point in the nineties where like the movie Hollow Man came mm. out and was considered one of the most graphically sadistically violent films that had ever gotten an R rating and you you certainly you look at that and you see other films that didn't get passed and it's it just depends on who showed up that day to rate it there is really no rhyme or reason yeah it's crazy well, cool. Um, so tell me more about Wasteland Weekend. What can people expect this year? Sure. So for this year, uh, it's it's more of the same, but also bigger and better. Um, e- you know, each year we, we change certain things. Obviously, the music lineup can change. Uh, you know, the performance lineup changes. We have uh, a theme this year where... Um, we have so we have tribes, okay. And what happens with a tribe is you've got a bunch of people who want to go out with a group of their friends, and it's a concept we started our second year in 2011 because we realized that you know it had some merit and it has really caught on. So the tribes have become a, a really big part of building up Wasteland City. So the the bigger tribes will have cool structures and interactive things, and it might be a lounge, it might be a casino, it might be a bounty hunting game that they run, and those tribes will really create the life of the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year, we're kind of doing this theme uh, more, partly for the tribes to just have some fun, but also to, to change up the aesthetic a little bit where uh, the peace has been broken at Wasteland and the tribes are kind of more at Something war. Something tells me this isn't going to be mini-golf. <laughs> well, we actually did have mini-golf out there at one point. <laughs> it was a post-apocalyptic mini-golf. That would be awesome. It was pretty cool. <laughs> the great thing is you can you can post-apoc almost anything yeah. and have it be fun yeah. and cool. Um, uh, other, other features we have out there are standard stuff that people who've been out there will will recognize. Um, we have a body shop, mm-hmm. which is great. Uh, you, for free, get your hair and makeup done by professionals. That's awesome. Know, who work in the business. And, and feeds into the grand illusion of things. Yeah, so you, you, even if your outfit looks good already, who doesn't want their hair did or yeah. you know get some cool post-apocalyptic makeup on? And they also outfit our, some of our performers. So you know we have war boys and stuff along the, the walls, and mm-hmm. they, they take care of them in the morning. They're great. We have a, a Wasteland Film Festival, which is a real film festival, and they show movies at night, short, post-apocalyptic short films mm-hmm. that are in competition. Um, 
and that happens at night. We, as of last year and coming back this year, we have the Thunderdome that Death Guild brings to Burning Man is now now comes out to Wasteland, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. And yeah, and you get in there and uh, fight your friends. And then we have uh, our car cruises. So we get now. Um, this has been slowly building the number of what I call Wasteland cars, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of a new category of of hot rod or custom car. And they come out um, from all over the country. And some of them drive like 3,000 miles to be there. And the first year we did this, I think we had one or two, maybe three cool, really cool cars. Mm-hmm. And then a few people try, you know, try to do a few things to their vehicle. And it's grown to we have over 100 cars out there now. And we do a car cruise out in the open desert. Uh, with It looks, when you're in the back of one of these cars and look around, it looks not quite as good, but that same feeling of one of those shots from Fury Road yeah. when the Doof Warrior is like doing his flaming guitar. It feels yeah. like that kind of energy to have all these engines around you and all these kind of Mad Max style cars rolling through the desert and kicking up dust. That's amazing. We do that on both Friday and Saturday. Um, we have, um, like I said, a lot of the interactive activities during the day and night that the tribes themselves bring out. Mm-hmm. And some of that, you know, we don't even really get to fully appreciate till it gets there because right. we've only been a little bit in touch with what they're doing. Um, God, there's, there's so much other stuff. We have uh, um, sort of sideshow kind of acts as well that go on. We have what we call the pit, which is our bonfire dance area. Mm-hmm. So while we have bands and stuff at the stage and occasional DJs there, we have DJs spinning all night at the pit for people who just you know just want to dance. Right. Um, there's uh, there's a guy uh, like Andrew who does ground control has has taken up those duties on a couple of years. Hmm. Cool. Um, there's a guy uh, with a couple of his friends. He bought the Exxon Valdez from Waterworld. So, and what I mean by that is they had like a three-quarter scale model of the Valdez for that movie that they use for when it blows up and all that. Yeah. So it's about the size of a giant boat. It's not the size of a you know oil tanker. Right. Right. But, um, he it was it was going to be destroyed. It was out in like one of these aircraft graveyards out in the Mojave Desert, and it was going to be dismantled for scrap. And he was like, "Well, we need this thing." Man, how so, do people find out about this stuff? Like so, my friend Houston has the hollow deck from yeah exactly you know, and now it's going to be part of the uh, the sci-fi museum but like I wonder what those phone calls are like like hey you, you know you I, I just found out that they've got the Exxon Valdez from Waterworld yeah. and I thought of you immediately do you want this yeah and some of it is yeah it's been sitting here for years and nobody wants to haul it away because it's not an easy thing to move and, yeah it's huge. and how do you, where do you store it and yeah it's, you know um, but what he did was he 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 kind of cut it in half and modified it and made it into this kind of broken down ship that looks like it was sort of stranded in the desert and he That's brings amazing. he brings that out to the event it's it's crazy the, the and people work all year on their camps and costumes and all that so that aspect gets bigger and better every year and the vehicles have kind of reached a critical mass because they take years to develop sometimes yeah. and people are sort of tinkering these in their garage in their spare time. So coming up with a cool costume for Wasteland is one thing. Having a car, it's taken a few years, but now more and more people are bringing them out. In fact, we ran out of space last year uh, based on the space we had allotted ourselves because we had the same number. We had Well, we knew we had a few more people coming, and we knew what our population was going to be. What we didn't realize was how much crap they were bringing with them right. compared to previous years. So it was like people who used to carpool now bringing three cars. <laughs> and and people who you know used to have a small camp now have a giant camp with a giant tower and a courtyard. And yeah. now everybody's doing this thing where they um, everybody wants the tallest tower in the Wasteland City. So we give guard towers and watchtowers are springing up. It's it's crazy. But, it's like an anchor watt in the middle yeah, of the mob. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but the... Um, 
the Wasteland Cars thing I want to talk about real quick because we're um, if you if you check out Jay Leno's Garage season two, which is on now, uh, we've got some Wasteland Cars featured on an episode of that. And the cool thing about that is. Um, I think Fury Road has really helped that. Yeah. It took this idea of rat rods have been around for a while, but rat rods are like lowered cars. Yeah. You know, they're street cars. And what uh, Fury Road did was say, look, you take an old car body, a cool vintage car body, and you put it on a 4x4 four four yeah. so it can survive in kind of an uneven desert territory. And that has been an inspiration for a lot of people making some really cool cars. have to imagine there's a bunch of Volkswagen bugs that are now 15 feet tall. Oh, uh, yeah. We had several yeah. of them come out to Wasteland. Actually, we just did a, our first ever Wasteland car show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to do that next year, too, where we just we bring it in. We wanted to bring a little bit of Wasteland into the city yeah. and have our first family-friendly event because the, the uh, important aspect of Wasteland that's never going to change is 18 and over. Yeah. But we thought, well, it'd be fun to have something for the kids, right? So uh, you got to think of the children. And we we brought a car show uh, to uh, the middle of Los Angeles. And yeah, there was a there were about six or seven bugs all lined up, all yeah. Wasteland bugs. People do like to do those Wasteland Baja bugs, for sure. But we have now, um, each year, of course, the attendees are bringing something. So we, as the organizers, feel like, well, we got to do something too. So yeah. last year, we have at least one big build every year. One year it was our Atomic Cafe bar, uh, which is all made out of like rusty car parts and stuff like that. And that's where our bartenders work from. One year it was our flame spewing main music stage. Um, and then um, last year we rolled out our new command center. So we wanted to have kind of our version of the war rig. Mm-hmm. It's a little smaller, but it's still kind of badass. And that's now our rolling command center. Wow. So we pull that in. That's the first thing that arrives on site. It rolls in. The War rig rolls in, war boys walking around on top of it, and that's actually where my office is. It's inside, <laughs> and we have we put up a little. If you go explore inside, there's a there's a photo uh, of a Morton Joe, and it says regional manager, and then there's a photo of Furiosa, and it says employee of the month. That's so, great. That's yeah. great. I love that. You know, it hasn't lost the fun spirit of it, and I know it's easy for things as they get built as they get bigger and they build up a lot of traction and they start to become more of a. Um, uh, a zeitgeist type of thing that it's easy to, to start and I don't want to say that things get corporate because many times things don't but that um, that they can get derailed by a certain seriousness yeah. that um, that can destroy things and it seems like there's still a really great you know, wink and a smile that goes along yeah, with Yeah, for this. sure. I mean, we, we're out there to have fun. That's the main thing. We do try to enforce theme, and we're actually going to do more of that this year, but we try to do it in a positive way. So, for example, this year, uh, there's a lot of concern among uh, a certain segment of our wasteland population that newcomers are going to ruin it. Yeah. And it's that thing that, you know, it's that, that nerd it's trap. Con- it's, it's that. It's, it's a worry that has it's the, been a valid worry. Yeah, and it yeah. has happened sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. I remember the signs that said Twilight ruined Comic-Con and all yeah. that. It, it, I guess. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, but for us, the the things I've said is, first of all, the people you're scared about are your friends. Yep. Because most of the people who come out to Wasteland, they're coming because you're dragging them out there. Yep. It's because you've told everyone you know how much you loved it and you've begged for them to come. Well, guess what? Now they're coming. Yeah. So now it's your job to make sure they come correct. And what's the first rule of Fight Club? You already <laughs> broke it, right. so might as well teach so, them how to fight. So now um, we, we rely on the growing veteran class to teach everyone. Yep. and But we want to do it in a positive way. So this year, we're going to create what we call theme ambassadors. Mm-hmm. So do these people walking around with special special designations, I think they might wear a medallion or something, and their job is to interact with people who, you know, aren't, aren't really pulling their weight yeah. <laughs> wasteland-wise, and, but to do it in a way that it's not the clicky, um, hipster, judgmental kind of thing, because yeah. we don't want to be that. Yeah, not, not the walkie-talkie trooper. 
Right. Yeah. We want to be we want to be the people who come up to them and say, look, it's a good first effort, but here's what could help. Yeah. You know, and we have vendors out there. We have a vendor out there who has like a dollar pile of military surplus things. Mm-hmm. So it's not hard to accessorize or you, right. know, you take them over to the body shop, see what they can do. And as long as they have a positive attitude about it, most people out there do want to improve what they're doing and don't even know that, oh, really? The jeans and the white T-shirt, this isn't good enough? But but they had jeans before the apocalypse. Wouldn't they have them after? No, that's not the point. Yeah. Or, well, no, I'm wearing stormtrooper armor because my backstory is that I'm a guy who found a hollow store after the bomb dropped and like let me stop you there if your costume requires you to explain a backstory to me it is not a good costume but again we want to do it with positivity Mm -hmm. and we want to keep a friendly atmosphere about there the crazy thing is you see all these photos and you see video and it looks like you know a gang of angry marauders uh, with you know weapons and they look scary and everybody looks intimidating the biggest thing we get is people talk about how it's the friendliest yeah. convention or event they've ever been to yeah. and we want to keep that going as long as we can you know there may be a point where some of that starts to go away mm-hmm. but we're going to keep it going as long as we can awesome well, i think it's probably a great place to stop give us the dates again it is september 22nd to the 25th 2016 you can get tickets at wastelandweekend.com slash tickets you can find out all about it at wastelandweekend.com or go to facebook.com slash wasteland weekend we have official facebook groups and that's our official site um you can also follow us on twitter um which is wasteland hq and i have a podcast which has nothing to do with any of this but it's where i talk about cocktails and pop culture and voiceover and screenwriting and that is called drinking and thinking and you well, can find us on itunes i'll have to i'll have to guest on that because <laughs> yeah. that's right up my alley the irish guy from boston talk yeah. about cocktails could happen yeah, and, and by the way, uh, myself and my co-hosts are also New Englanders. Excellent. So we already did a whole episode that was specifically about New England. You might want to check that See, out, he's, too. See, he's lost more of his accent than I have. Uh, well, going into voiceover, <laughs> yeah, I started in voiceover, and, and actually I lost my accent even before that. But mm-hmm. the funny thing is some of the first few jobs I got were like, yeah, but can you sound like a blue-collar kind of Boston guy? I was like, oh, so I'm back to that now. <laughs> yeah. That, see, I had spent maybe 20 years losing my accent, and then I just woke up one day, and I'm like, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's just going to go back. And every single time and I talk to my sisters. plus it's wicked hot. You know, it's wicked hot to just keep trying to talk <laughs> like some kind of loser. <laughs> I was just watching some video that was like, uh, oh, where was it? It was like a cat and a bird of friends video. And it was in like North Andover or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and it was my relatives. Like it was exactly <laughs> them. Like, oh, this could totally have been, you know, my aunt and my uncle. And and whenever I talk to my sisters, they've they've all, almost all of them lived outside of Massachusetts for at least as long as I have. So more than 25 years. And they still sound exactly like they sounded in Massachusetts. Yeah, which I, I, I didn't know was possible. Some people never lose their accent. Just yeah. ask Schwarzenegger. Yeah, right. And on, and on that note, <laughs> well, hey man, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having and, me. And um, we hope you enjoyed this, and we definitely hope you'll check out Wasteland Weekend. Um, and we're going to try and, I'm going to try and finagle a way to do a podcast from Wasteland Weekend, too. But um, until next time, uh, you've been listening to Pod Sequentialism. I've been your host, Matt Kennedy, and um, we're going to sign off right now. <laughs>